Oh, by the way, in case you have not yet heard, my book is about to come out. It's called Feel Good Productivity, How to Do More of What Matters to You. And it's a book that I've been working on for the last three years. Now it's being published at the end of December, 2023, but pre-orders are actually available. And I know people don't like pre-ordering the book, but if you do pre-order the book and you email me your receipt, you will get completely free access to a live exclusive event that I'm hosting in the first weekend of January of 2024. And this is a live online workshop all about annual planning, goal setting and reflection. And so I'm gonna be facilitating a group with hopefully hundreds of people from all around the world. And we're gonna be going through how to figure out what to do with our life and how to turn that into goals for the year and how to build systems and how to be consistent with stuff and how to make sure that we are enjoying the journey along the way. That is purely exclusively available for people who pre-order the book as a thank you for our little community. So if you wanna check it out, you can check out the book. You can maybe consider pre-ordering it. The link will be down in the video description. Somehow my philosophy in life goes back to Ru, which essentially means that I always want to feel like I'm coming back to a place where I feel like I can rest and relax and feel a calm on the inside. Lana is a fellow YouTuber with over a million subscribers and her channel is all about a little bit more of a chill approach to life and a mindful approach to productivity. In the episode, we talk about a bunch of stuff, including how she grew her audience while still working a full-time job. We talk about Lana's take on the concept of productivity and what it means to work towards your goals, but in a way that's actually mindful and enjoyable, not just hustle culture vibes. Somehow we feel like if we have more of a calm, approach to things, we're not as productive, you know, it's not as efficient. I can at least feel sometimes like, okay, why am I not feeling too stressed about this? Does that mean that I'm slacking? Even if I'm getting as much done and getting it done better than I would have had otherwise, there's something in me and maybe in you and other people where you kind of feel like being productive means that you need to feel like you're running around. And we talk a little bit about the challenges and the ups and downs of online dating. I don't really buy this whole thing of it has to be a hell yes from the beginning. Does that happen? I have a hard time believing people are like, oh yeah, from like the moment I saw this person, it was just perfect and I knew. I think most people land somewhere in between. Lana, you have just hit a million subscribers, so congratulations Thank on that you. front. And my understanding is that you started YouTube in 2018, so that would have been when you were like 22 years old? Yes. What, would, what did your life look like before then? And how did we get to the point where you decided, I'm going to film myself and upload a video to YouTube? Mm -hmm. So I was working in finance, had um, nine to five regular sort of job and i always liked photography and i've taken photos just for fun and i've been pretty creative i've liked writing and things like that and so i was living in the u.s for two years working in finance and some other things and i was actually posting vlogs from there but they're not on my channel anymore thankfully um because i was trying to try and see what i could create out of nothing. I had no idea what I was interested in doing or talking about or if I wanted to be a vlogger or someone who sits down and talks to the camera. And then I was like, okay, when I move back home to Sweden, I'm going to give this thing more of a try. Like I'm going to try and actually put some effort into the videos. Um, and I think even in Sweden, my first couple of videos, which also don't exist anymore, uh, were vlogs. And then I made a video, it's like a little short film-ish on my channel, which is like the first video that is up there now. And I had a lot of fun and I think it got 200 views or something and like five comments. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. 200 people watch this video. And then that motivated me to keep creating more videos. And I did. And here we are at a million, which is crazy. <laughs> so when you made that video that got 200 views, mm -hmm. did you still have the day job then? 
Like, yeah. So you're working in finance as well in Sweden? Yeah, not in finance, more like in marketing-ish. Yeah. Uh, and then I quit my job. Well, first I told myself, I was like, when I hit like 30K, that's like reasonable to quit my job. And okay. then I was like, that's too far. And then I was like, when I hit 20K and 10K, and then I just made it less and less and less. And then I think I quit when I was at like 7,000. So you had 7,000 subscribers and you quit the do and, you, and you quit your job? Yes. Surely you weren't making enough money to no. sustain that. Like how, wh so what was the thought process? I was very lucky. At the time, I was living at home. Uh, and I had been saving all my money to just be able to sustain for myself for as long as possible. And then very luckily, shortly after, how long after? Maybe a couple months, I had a video blow up, um, gaining like a million views to start with and then even more. And that's what just took everything off. And so the time from quitting to that point was very short. Okay. Um, so that was, I okay. had the algorithm yeah. gods on my side <laughs> for sure. How many videos did you make before? Like, I guess roughly how many videos had you made before that video blew up? Not that many, maybe 10. Oh, in including all the vlogs and stuff. Oh, with the vlogs yeah. that are no longer up? Yeah. Um, maybe 20. Oh, wow. Okay. So I'm like kind of guessing here. I'm not sure, but roughly. So after a couple of dozen videos, you had one yeah. that, that blew up. Yeah. That's pretty good. I think, yeah, yeah, it's really good. So I've got a lot of friends who also live with their parents and don't have many expenses and who work in jobs that they don't like, mm. but they still feel the sense of, oh, I can't, I can't leave my job because I need to earn money. I need to have enough, like, even though that their expenses are zero because they're living with their yeah. parents. Um, what was it about? Like, that's, it's pretty unusual to, even if you are living with your parents and you have a job to d just suddenly decide, you know what? I'm making basically no money off of YouTube, but I'm going to quit the job anyway. So yeah. what made you like, what were the dots that connected for you to decide to, I guess, take that leap? I think in one way it was a very hard decision because, I mean, it was, it felt kind of dumb, um, quitting, having, I mean, YouTube paid me maybe a dollar a month or <laughs> not even that at that point. Um, and so on one hand, I felt like this is a very, I'm taking a big risk here. Um, but I felt kind of safe because I had my, uh, degrees and I was like, if things don't work out, I can just still get a job. So I had something safe to kind of fall back on if things were to not turn out well. So that definitely helped having that safety net. And then there was just, it sounds kind of cliche, but something in me was like, you have to do this because if you're not going to do it, you're just going to keep thinking about it and thinking about it and you're not going to let it go. And I was very unfulfilled at that job that I had. Not that the job was necessarily even a bad job. I just couldn't stop thinking about YouTube and I became obsessed. I would read about it and watch videos of people talking about YouTube and becoming a YouTuber and what gear you should have and how you should speak and what you should think about. And I just became obsessed. Like every lunch break that I had, I would consume how to YouTube content. And um, I think I just felt like if I continue being this obsessed and wanting to try this thing so much, and if I stay consistent, how is it not going to work out? I think I kind of had that mentality. Nice. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. This is the thing. I think it's so true. Like if you, if you feel like you enjoy the thing and you are consistent with it and yeah. pr produce videos that are sort of vaguely getting better over time, like I, it, it's, it's hard to imagine a world in which it doesn't at least work out in some kind of way. Yeah. That's what I was, I think, thinking and 
if you my idea is is if you feel like you're not really into it like let's say you want to be a youtuber but you're kind of like yeah it looks kind of fun but i don't know i'm not very into it maybe that's going to be difficult because you're not going to likely not going to see any growth or numbers and you're going to feel silly for putting in all this time when no one is watching you or caring about you um so you think i think you need to really feel like regardless of how many people are watching or engaging in the beginning i'm so obsessed with this thing that i'm just going to keep going and going yeah, yeah. it's about like enjoying enjoying the journey and not yeah. just being fixated on a particular outcome oh absolutely um okay so at the time you quit the job did you tell yourself i'm going to try this for a year or two years or six months like or did you say i'm a mr beast of like i'm going to be a youtuber or i'm going to die like what was your approach to this i think that's what i was feeling uh but i told my mom because she was like okay well how long um i mean obviously you can still live at home but how long are you going to be jobless basically because i think no parent you know wants to see their child jobless um and I think I told her, like, I'm going to give this a year or six months, something like that. Not too long. Um, and she was like, okay, sounds pretty reasonable. So I think it's good to give yourself some sort of a timeline because it also motivates you in a way to really work at it and stay consistent and give it your all. Did you have like a time when you started? Um, I didn't quit my job until like three years into the YouTube thing. Oh, when, right. so like I was right. very much overlapping. Yeah, and then the reason I quit was because I was always going to take a break anyway, and then it, so it it all worked out fairly trivially almost. But I always feel like I'm I'm very risk averse, mm -hmm. and so the thought of quitting my job, I'd have been like, <laughs> like even in a like especially in a non medical job, I would have thought about oh, but there's going to be a gap on my resume, yeah. and like. People are going to be like, oh, you left your job and then it's going to be harder for me to find another job. Mm -hmm. How how did you think about the whole gap in the CV situation? I think that was the scariest thing. And that was the main thing. Some people tried discouraging me saying, well, there's going to be a gap in your resume. And how is that going to look for future employers? And I was like, I'm not going to need a future employer. <laughs> <laughs> I tried having that sort of mindset because, yeah. I mean, you want to think of the risks and what like having a plan B is important, but you also don't want to make that your reality you want your reality to be no but this is going to work out and it's going to go great and i'm not going to need any of that even though you should be aware of that i think um so yeah i mean it was a big risk but i also feel like again having a safety net and feeling like someone is going to hire me even if i haven't worked for a few months mm. i think i don't think no one is going to want me ever so it's not that serious it yeah. doesn't work out. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of um fear mongering in in the sort of job finding space yeah. where and I I guess a lot of the narratives that we hear are that oh it's so hard to find a job in the current market and like it's so hard to get a job anywhere. But I don't know, it like maybe I'm just so out of touch with how hard it is to get a job, but like basically everyone I know found it reasonably easy to get a job and maybe they might struggle to find another one that pays more money but it's definitely fairly easy enough to get a job mm. and take a bit of a pay cut and yeah. so really the risk in inverted commas is literally just the delta between the job that you're able to get easily and the job you currently have whereas i think a lot of people think of it as like oh my god i'm gonna be homeless and broke and it's sort of yeah. there's a lot of it's yeah. it's easy to catastrophize the situation and maybe i mean it depends on your situation if you're someone who you know maybe you don't have any safety net at all and quitting a job that you struggled very hard to get and maybe for some reason you know you're 
your job opportunities is quite narrow, then you're going to have a lot more to lose mm. as opposed to if you have more. So I think it depends on your situation, but it's also thinking, okay, what would I rather do? Do I want to stay safe and continue doing this job that I'm doing and, you know, be quite unhappy and unfulfilled, but safe? Or can I take this risk without ruining my life if things don't work out, yeah. but the outcome could be something very positive. I might end up very fulfilled and happy and doing something that I deeply care about and am good at. So it's all the risk and return. Absolutely. Thingy. It's like weighing, weighing it all up. Yeah. Just a quick announcement from one of our sponsors and we'll get right back to the episode. And this episode is brought to you by Heights. Heights is a brain care smart supplement that I've been taking every morning for the last 12 months. I love it so much that I actually became friends with the founder, Dan, who we actually had on season one of the Deep Dive podcast. We also have an interview this season with neuroscientist and psychiatrist, Dr. Tara Swart, who's the chief science officer of Heights. And I like the product so much that I actually became an angel investor in the company. It's great. Everything they do is completely evidence-based. So on their website, they've got a list of all 20-something micronutrients that they've got in these two capsules, along with links to all of the various scientific papers and consensuses on why these sorts of nutrients are good for you and why they've got them at the appropriate dosing, which they have in the capsules, in the capsules. It's super easy to sign up. You just go on the website, which is linked in the show notes and in the video description, and you put in your address and they send you one of these little boxes of pills every month or every quarter. Now I sign up to the quarterly subscription, so I get three of these every three months. And the quarterly subscription is great because A, it's discounted from the monthly subscription and B, if you use the coupon code ALI15, A-L-I-1-5 at checkout, then you'll get an extra 15% off the already discounted price of the quarterly subscription. Now, obviously it's ideal if you can actually get all these micronutrients from your diet, that would be the gold standard. But as studies show, 99% of us in the Western world don't in fact have the absolutely perfect gold standard Mediterranean diet. I certainly don't. I eat a lot of takeaways. And so these two capsules, just two capsules every morning has my basis covered. And it's a lot easier to take just two little capsules with water than it is to try and drown green sludge or whatever else other, other companies have in the market that kind of does the same thing. So anyway, thank you so much Heights for sponsoring this episode. And let's get right back to the podcast. At the time in those early days, like sort of 2017, 2018, if someone asked you, right, Lana, what is your channel about? Or yeah. what do you do on YouTube? What would you have said? So I still don't know the answer to that question. Um, still, when people ask me, what do you do on YouTube? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I talk about things that I care about. That's kind of my response, which, I mean, I guess it is, but it's very vague. Like, what does that mean? It doesn't really give an answer to the question. And some may say, may say that it's self-help, but I don't know. Is it self? Maybe, because it's helping some people. So is that self-help? Maybe. I think I don't really... I think people can define it as what they want. Some people come and saying it's their safe place and some people say they're learning things and some people say, you know, it's different for... So I think my channel is what others think it is and that just differs from person to person. Back then it was just exploring. I mean, I talked about a variety of things. I talked about uh, hookup culture and I talked about self-improvement and I talked about productivity and a variety of things and i still do to an extent so i don't really know yeah. what do you think my channel is about i i also don't really like i i feel like i struggle to answer that question for myself as yeah. well because i guess we both are sort of in that personal development t space yeah but within that we're both fairly broad in the sorts of topics we talk about yeah like and our audiences yeah. overlap a lot yeah 
I've yeah, seen yeah. it on your thing often comes up as like, you know, your audience also watched yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me too. So I think maybe just people our audiences are just people interested in bettering themselves or maybe they just think even if they don't want to better themselves, they just think listening to topics about those things is important or interesting. I don't know. This might be a difficult one, but like, what do you think is it about your channel that made it get so popular? Like loads of people want to become personal development YouTubers, it seems these days. Um, Whenever I run my YouTuber Academy, like half the people who join want to become personal development YouTubers because they're all interested in personal development. And it's like, oh, I could study. I could become the next Ali Abdal. I could become the next Lana Blakely. I could become, I I can talk about personal development with my own twist. And I don't know, like, it strikes me that realistically, very few of them are going to get to the million subscriber mark. So what do you think it is that that sort of was it about your channel that has touched a chord with people? Oh, great question. I'm like, why do I have million subscribers? I don't know. But I think um, at the time when I was starting, a lot of the YouTube that I was watching was quite loud, I think, and quite out there and a little bit not aggressive, but very like, you know, the hi, everyone, you know, that sort of intro. And it was very extroverted, maybe. I don't, I don't really know how to define it. And I think that wasn't because that's not me as a person and in the beginning because when i was studying how to become a youtuber um i came across a video saying you need to talk louder and be more you know engaging because people are not going to watch and yeah that's true for some people to an extent and i tried that and i just watched back watched the videos back and i was like that's not me at all it feels very manufactured and strange and so i toned it back and started talking more like myself a bit slower and you know, some people really cannot watch my videos without speeding it up. I mean, you probably yeah. you probably cannot. <laughs> I think I watch you in about 3x speed or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but some people, well, clearly more than some people were drawn to that and enjoy the more kind of quiet, slow down pace and style. So maybe that's part of it, I think. Mm. I don't think that's as common as the more outgoing, louder yeah i think but it's really hard knowing why people are watching you really why do you think you've been so successful feeling of luck right place at the right time mm-hmm. i think also totally. just yeah again yeah it, 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 it is hard to kind of connect the dots um i think that at the time, so around 2017, 2018, I, I, I guess both of us sort of got into this space around the same time. So I, I started my channel in 2017, but only really started making, I guess, productivity type stuff, 2018, 2019. Around that time, it was still a somewhat untapped market. Mm. Like there were people who were big, like Matt and Tom and Nathaniel and Joey. But beyond those four, there were not many people in the space. And so... I think there was space for more voices to just sort of do the same thing, personal development from a different sort of twist. And I think I had the unfair advantage of sort of trading off the doctor thing. Being like, hey, I'm a doctor and I do shit on the side and therefore you should listen to me. Yeah. Was I hope the implication of, of some of the stuff. <laughs> now, if I were to start a YouTube channel, I don't think I'd try and go straight for personal development because it's just too broad. I'd probably go for like finance or crypto or something and really just try and have deep expertise in one particular area. Why? Because I think it's a lot easier to stand out when you have deep expertise in one area. Because I think if I were a YouTuber, if, if I were just starting out, there's no unfair advantage that I have. There's nothing that helps me stand out from the crowd. 
Whereas if I just got really good at explaining crypto, for example, yeah. then I can do that for like a year or two and then branch slowly out into the rest of finance. And, and I really like that sort of stuff. But do you think that would be as fun being more like, because now you can kind of make content about anything you want. I know we've talked about yeah. this book about relationships that you talked about and you talk about tech stuff mm -hmm. and productivity and finance. Yeah. And do you think that's, don't you think that's what keeps it interesting as well that you can just kind yeah. of talk about? what you want i think i think so but i think uh, the, the way i see it is that that is a privilege that you get to have once you're already successful like for example amazon started out just selling books if jeff had tried to sell everything from day one it's not going to work so he yeah. just starts off with books and then slowly expands out and now okay. amazon sells everything similarly i think my approach to youtube would be to start off super niche and then slowly expand and because if i were a new youtuber and i made a video of like 10 productivity hacks no one's watching it but if I made a video like something really niche, like how to program an altcoin on the Solana blockchain, now there's potentially some search traffic and I could potentially get some views that way. Yeah, because yeah. sometimes when I have an issue with like Premiere Pro or something very specific and I'll look up that issue on YouTube and I'll find a video of someone having like a million views about something very, very specific that I thought I'm not even going to find. So yeah, I think there's something to it. But I don't know. Yeah. I think... I mean, I enjoy being able to talk about multiple things, but also sometimes I think it would be a lot easier if I just had, like, let's say I was just talking about relationships because then like the right audience is really going to find me and they're going to watch all of my videos, probably most of them because they're all on the same topic and that's why they're there. I think when you're talking about multiple things, some people are like, oh, I like his tech stuff, but not his finance stuff. So yeah. it's your views can kind of fluctuate too. So yeah, I think it's like pros and cons. So. Yeah. What's the, what's the, how, how? How how do you feel about the the view fluctuation with your with your channel? Ooh. Um, I think there's always a balance between finding or creating videos that you really enjoy, where you're like, I really want to talk about this thing, and it's going to be very interesting to create, and the right people are going to appreciate it a lot. But maybe it's not something that's going to get a lot of attention because it's just not that type of video. And then you have ideas that are more, okay, this is going to go pretty well. Like, I'm pretty sure this is going to perform well, but it's not something very personal or super exciting. Like I enjoy making it, but it's not as, like, it doesn't fuel me the way something else might have fueled me. So I think finding that balance is difficult sometimes. Like, do I want to get more views or do I want this to be, like, touch the core of yeah. my heart you know what do you feel about oh i have that? it yeah 100 the same yeah. the same dilemma and it, like I was, I was watching a great video that mark manson put out the mm -hmm. other day where he talked about the price of success and so and so he wrote these like these two books which did like ridiculously well yeah. like i think he's probably one of the best-selling authors in this space like in the in the last generation but he said that because his books were so successful he started playing it safe on his blog and only writing stuff he knew would resonate with people but the reason he was successful in the first place is because he wrote stuff that was a bit out there, like the subtle art of not giving a fuck and all that kind of thing. And then he was like playing it safe. And so he made a YouTube video basically being like, right, I'm now going to become a YouTuber and I'm going to talk about whatever I want. <laughs> and it seems like a lot of, like almost every creator that I speak to who has, has this dilemma between, do I pander to the audience or do I do the stuff that I want to do? And like the middle, the middle ground between those two things. And ideally when you have the right sort of audience and the right sort of content, there's a lot of overlap between those things. Yeah. Like I know I like I recently bought this like just random typewriter, a smart typewriter, which connects to Wi-Fi and is but it's just a type, all you can do on it is write. 
Now, this is something I'm really excited about. And there is like a small segment of my audience who will be as well, yeah. but it's a bit niche. Like most people are not going to care about that. And I have to kind of be okay with that. So how do you decide if you're going to make the video or not? My model is always that, or oh, always a strong word, but like the model I aspire to have is if I think this will be helpful to at least one person, then I make the video and I don't care about the views. Nice. And I find that the less I look at the numbers, the happier I am. Like for my last two videos, I know they're not doing amazingly. And I, actually, I specifically have not looked at YouTube Studio. <laughs> and whenever I find myself like itching to open it, I'm like, you know what? I don't need to know. Because whether or not the video does well, mm -hmm. I'm glad I put it out. Because I only does that affect you? That I think is, if yeah. you know that this video is not performing well, how does that affect you mentally? Do you still feel like you're the worst person in the world? and Or how do you feel about that? I feel like, oh, this is the beginning of the end. I'm fading into irrelevancy. No one's yeah. going to watch my videos. I'm going to become homeless and broken alone. Yeah. What, what's <laughs> it like true. for you? <laughs> I'm the exact same way. I'm like, I, so sometimes when a video is performing really bad, I'll call my mom and I'll be like, mom, I'm just going to start applying for jobs. Yeah. This is not working out. No one cares anymore. And I just kind of spiral. And then I, you know, try again next week because I post one video a week. And if two videos in a row are not performing well, that's what I'm like. Okay, my CV is like getting ready to be sent out because this is not working anymore. And there's been so many times like that. But then you have a video where it's going well again. And so just not quitting and being consistent is so important because you're going to want to quit. Like quit, I think, a lot of times if you do this long enough. Um, but just keep going. Yeah. Yeah, I think the way I think of it is um, after loads of journaling, definitely want to talk to you about journaling because you've just released a Skillshare class about journaling, yes. uh, a bit more journaling. Um, <laughs> but what, I, I, I often journal, like whether it's by hand or on, on computer. And after, after several thousand words, I arrive at the conclusion of, you know what, I can just make videos about what I want and it's fine. And right now it's working. And if, it's, if it ever stops working, then I'll, I'll just get a do job. Like, how I'll, like, yeah. I'll, I'll figure something out. Yeah, like the... The worst case scenario is not catastrophic. Yeah. So it's, I think just reminding yeah. yourself of that. Even if, because I think, I mean, you get so comfortable. I think you can relate to this doing this job because it's, you have all the freedom and it's so enjoyable and it's a dream. Like sometimes I can't believe that I get to do this. Like I can't believe I'm just able to be here and this is part of my job is chatting yeah. with you. It doesn't feel like that should be a part of a job because it's, too enjoyable and so i think there's always a fear of what if i lose that and what if i go back to having to do something that i don't enjoy and that's scary but then again you can only do your best and hope that people continue to resonate and find you interesting and valuable or what you have to say interesting and valuable hmm. yeah that's a good way of, that's a good way of thinking about yeah. it just a quick message from one of our sponsors and we'll get right back to the episode. And this episode is very kindly brought to you by Shortform. Shortform is the world's best service that summarizes books, but it's way more than just book summaries. They almost have a whole study guide for every book that they've got on the platform where they've got a one page summary. And then they also have chapter by chapter breakdowns. And it's not just chapter by chapter breakdowns. Also in between the chapter breakdowns, they have interactive exercises where you can engage more readily with the ideas in the book. Shortform covers non-fiction books from a bunch of different genres that you might be interested in. For example, they've got a load of stuff in the business world. So if, for example, you are an entrepreneur or you want to become an entrepreneur, that'll be great for you. They've got books in motivation. They've got books in education. They've got books in lifestyle and communication. Basically, any genre of like non-fiction, personal development-y, self-helpy stuff that will help you level up your life. It's all there on Shortform. Shortform publishes new book guides and articles every week. And if you're a subscriber, then you get to vote on what book they cover next. 
And in fact, through that system, I have voted for various books that they've then turned into summaries. For example, I recently read the short form guide to a book by Pat Lencioni called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Now, this is a really good book itself. I listened to it on Audible, I think last year. And it's like a fable about leading and managing a team. And it's like, it's really nice. It's like in the form of a story where this guy is like struggling with his business and then he meets a mentor and the mentor teaches him about the five dysfunctions of a team. But to be honest, once you've heard the story once, you kind of want to revisit the five dysfunctions, just the key lessons without having to go through the story because like the story is good the first time around. Anyway, thanks to Shortform, I was able to revisit the five key lessons from that book in the space of about a minute rather than having to reread the thing, which would have taken several hours. Anyway, if any of that sounds up your street and you would like to sign up to the world's best service that summarizes books, then head over to shortform.com forward slash deep dive and that will give you a completely free five day trial and you can try out the service to your heart's content. That link will also be in the video description and in the show notes and thank you so much Shortform for sponsoring this episode. Just a quick little break and we'll get right back to the podcast shortly but this is to let you know that this podcast is very kindly brought to you by Paperlike. Paperlike is by far the best screen protector for the iPad that is on the market. I've been using the Paperlike screen protector since like 2018 when I first got the iPad Pro and they have had various evolutions and stuff since then but the most recent version is the Paperlike 2.1 otherwise known as the Swiss Paperlike and it's really good. It basically makes writing on the iPad with an Apple Pencil feel like writing on paper. But to be honest, the Paperlike screen protector has been doing that since 2018. What's different about this new Paperlike 2.1 is that the nano dots, which are the little bits on the screen that make it feel that friction resistance as if you're writing on paper, those are spaced more widely apart. And so you get exactly the same kind of feeling of writing on paper, but you get a lot less refraction of the screen. And so like having a screen protector on, on the iPad it's almost not noticeable that there is a screen protector on the iPad. Whereas in fairness with previous versions of the Paperlike and other screen protectors on the market, you do genuinely get this like refraction type thing that makes the screen look a bit crap. But I'm so glad that they've got this new version 2.1 out because now like the absolutely marvelous iPad screen is not being adulterated by the screen protector on it. Anyway, if you have an iPad or an iPad Air or an iPad Pro, then you definitely want to get a Paperlike screen protector for it, assuming you write with the Apple Pencil. And you can do that by heading over to paperlike.com forward slash deep dive or by hitting the link in the video description or in the show notes. So thank you so much, Paperlike, for sponsoring this episode. And let's get right back to the show. You talk a lot about, so your your video that went viral was, I think, uh, a day in the life of an introvert. Yeah. Um, to what extent do you identify as an introvert? Like, what does introvert mean, mean to you? So I've kind of tried to not identify too much with any term recently, just because I feel like it boxes you in somehow. So I know that I would talk a lot about being introverted and, you know, having these traits and whatnot. And it would get to a point where if I were to post like a story on Instagram, having dinner with friends, I would get DMs from people being like, I thought you were an introvert who doesn't like going out. So why are you out with friends? And it got me thinking like, this is like, it's getting to a point where not only am I boxing myself in, but other are boxing me in as well. And I think that can be the danger of self-labeling. You feel like, okay, I have this label, I am this or that, so I should act in this way. And I just don't really want to have that in my life. I want to feel like, even if I feel, yeah, I'm introverted because I like my alone time and I don't need to be with people as much as some other people might need to be with people. And But that does not mean that I don't enjoy other people or that I don't want to go out and do this and that. So... I just try to stay clear of boxing myself in as much as possible. Um, but I still do make some content about introversion because I know that 
learning about it helped me so much and just being like oh I'm not this weird person because I can spend the entire day at home and just doing my own stuff. It's just because that's how I enjoy being and that's completely fine. And it is very helpful to so many people just learning about it and talking about it. So I still do it, but I don't say I am an introvert. I'm like, I'm introverted because like it's spectrum and no one is only that or only that. We're all somewhere in the middle of these terms and definitions, I think. What do you think? I feel like you're extroverted. Or? Mm. I would say I'm more introverted. I'd, mm. I, assuming that the definition is around sort of getting your energy by recharging with your own company versus yeah. with other people. Yeah. So like, for example, if I'm, if, often if I'm on holiday with friends, I will enjoy taking out a few hours in the morning to just sit on my laptop and do mm. some work. Maybe that's just the workaholic part. Of I was going to ask, is that because you just enjoy watching? <laughs> So like, I don't which know. one is it? Yeah, I feel like a lot of social contact is a bit much. And I like just having time on my laptop or with, with the journal where I can just do my own thing. Um, last week, I, I interviewed someone called Francesca Spector, who's a journalist who's written a book called uh, uh, Alonement, which okay. is about this sort of um, spending time by yourself and using that to recharge and like nice. being okay with that. And I, I really like that term. It's like a nice... So the, the, the day I interviewed her, that evening I went to a restaurant by myself and just did some journaling. Nice. Went on a date with myself and it was like, oh, this is so nice. Do you ever felt, do that normally? Going out, eating by yourself? Not usually. I think I've done it like twice in the last year. And okay. one, one, one time was last week. So I, I want to do more. It was great. I want to yeah. do more of that. And even like, well, one of her tips was to block it out in the calendar because then you can look forward to it. Whereas normally if I have a random spare evening, I'll just sort of non-intentionally do something. But in this case, it's like, oh, today is going to be an alonement evening. I'm going to spend time by myself. And it's going to be great. And I think it's important because you get to be alone with... Because when you're around people, I mean, sure, you can be yourself, but it's inevitable that you're getting influenced by other people's moods and thoughts and experiences and what they're saying and what they're thinking and all of that. Whereas when you're by yourself, you get to kind of fully and truly listen to your own thoughts and be like, what do I think about this thing? And how do I enjoy this food or this place or whatever it is that you're doing and i think it's valuable and kind of getting to know yourself in a way but how do you feel working with a big team and meeting them every day and because i feel like now that i'm doing everything by myself and imagining having a team of a lot of people that i not have to spend every day with but that i will spend every day with it feels a little bit draining mm. how do you feel about that do you feel energized when you're around Generally, yeah, generally I do. Yeah. Um, so usually my, my setup is that my mornings are for book writing. So like this morning, I had breakfast with my agent and then sort of nine till 12 was book time, sitting in a coffee shop and just doing book stuff. And then I came here and now we're having this chat and I had a team meeting just a little while ago and doing like a uh, working dinner tonight as well with, with, with Tommy. And I find that that balance where it's like, I've got some of the day to do my own deep work and the rest of the time I can just sort of have good vibes with the team. I really enjoy that. Okay. And I, I like working with people around because I get a bit depressed when it's just me and I'm sitting on my laptop all day. Oh, really? Do you find that or do you enjoy sitting on your laptop I all day? I enjoy it. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I mean, I thought because I haven't, I don't know what the opposite would be like either. Mm. So I don't know if, if I were to have a team being around people working, I don't know if I would enjoy it. Maybe I would. But I think you would. I haven't tried it. So I can I imagine don't... how sick it would be if you had like one or two people 
yeah. that you worked with maybe like a couple of days a week you yeah. will go to the same coffee shop or the same co-working space i think so i think if it's the right people where yeah. you have good chemistry and which i think is so important i mean i've tried having people on my team like an editor or like the very basic thing that youtubers typically need help with but i think it's so hard just i don't know like going from doing everything by yourself you know all the different roles that being a youtuber entails to bringing someone in it feels like it's such a scary thing i don't know how you successfully found so many people and they all seem great yeah like how do you just that process seems so yeah i mean it, it sort of happened slowly over a long period of so it's been i sort of um started working with christian our editor three years ago now okay and so in the early days he was like sending me the final cut sending me the project files and i was doing the final cut of editing myself and then after a while i was like oh he's actually better than i am cool and then now we just do it via frame.io where he just uploads a file and then i can leave comments on it and then and then it goes to the channel nice. and it's just like i remember in the early days the feeling i had when i'd be because i'd be filming a video in the evening after work and then i'd go to work the next day and then i'd come home and the video is ready and i'm just like mind blown like I didn't have to spend 18 hours editing this video <laughs> and that just completely changed my life. Yeah. And as soon as Christian came on board, suddenly everything started going well in the business because I had way more time to spend on actually writing the videos and writing courses, which is the thing I enjoy doing rather than cutting out my ums and ahs. And... Do you do any editing now? Well, no. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I sometimes think, you know what, I should get back into editing. I and mean, then it's I fun, but it's remember very time how long it takes. Yeah. And then I think, huh, this is like, would I choose to do this just for fun? Right. And if the answer is no, then it's like, okay, then I shouldn't be doing this. Oh, okay. Whereas I would choose to write just for fun or to read just for fun, but I wouldn't choose to edit just for fun. Mm -hmm. You have written and talked a lot about the concept of Ro. Yeah. What is Ro? So pronounced Ro in Swedish, it's just another word. I don't think anyone really thinks about it more than any other word, but it's a word that doesn't have... Um, direct translation to any other language that I know of, at least not English. Basically, what it means, Ru, is just like calm, tranquility, peace. Um, so if you've had like a long day, you might say in Swedish, I just want some peace and calm. Or I want to find a place to have some Ru. Um, and I started because... A lot of, like, somehow my philosophy in life is, goes back to Ru, which essentially means that even at the end of a day, if I've had a long day or a stressful day, I always want to feel like I'm coming back to a place where I feel like I can rest and relax and feel it calm on the inside. And I try to create those habits in my everyday life. I want my home to be that place. I want to have that feeling with my close relationships where I can feel like this person gives me some rule as opposed to the opposite of giving me stress or anxiety or, um, yeah. So I think that's just where it started. I was like, this is a great word and more people should know of this word or concept. And I started my newsletter, named it Monday, Monday Ru. I think I haven't been writing a lot there, but um, basically just writing stories of Ru or tips on Ru and things like that. And a lot of people enjoyed it and resonated with the concept of just wanting more Ru 
in their lives. And that's how that was born. Yeah. I could do with some more room <laughs> in my life. Um, how, how does one go about finding Ru? Um, good. Good pronunciation. Um, <laughs> I think it means different things to different people. So like having a rule in the morning to me is just not feeling stressed in the morning and waking up early enough to where I can have a coffee and sit on my couch and cuddle my dog and not have to hurry anywhere or feel like I'm stressed out and that I'm well rested. So that's just a way of finding it. Or I love taking long walks and not listening to anything and just enjoying the walk with no sounds. And to me, that's true. So I think it means different things to different people. But I think the feeling is just simply, it's a bit meditative where it's like, it's like the feeling where you're taking a long walk in the forest or something and you don't have any distractions other than bird sounds or you know, the sound of bushes or whatever, something that is just very peaceful and calming. And yeah, I think it's going to be different things for different people, but you're going to know if you start paying attention to your day, like, where do I feel like I'm at ease? Where do I feel like no one is bothering me? There's like a calm feeling throughout my body and I'm just being. And what is that to you? Can you identify anything like that in your life? Yeah. Yeah, very much so. I was just okay. thinking as you were saying that, that like your whole vibe is very like, <laughs> oh, nice. very like kind of Zen, mm. kind of like calm and tranquil. And it's just it's sort of just like sitting here talking to you is making me just feel a bit more calm. And I'm just like, yeah, this Are is you falling asleep. Quite a nice conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm relaxed. I feel like I'm, I'm energized. And well, it was sort of like uh, being energized through being relaxed. Yeah. Rather than being energized through being like frantic mm. almost. Um, yeah, so it's not necessarily, to me, it's not like feeling sleepy or, you know, taking a nap. It is feeling energized, but through something very simple mm -hmm. and calming. So journaling can be pretty, pretty much that as well, depending on what you're writing about. If you're ranting about a recent heartbreak, maybe it's not very true, but can you find anything specific in yeah so I've, I've, I've been thinking about this sort of concept a lot recently um because with the book that i'm working on um the core thesis i guess is that you know for me productivity has always been about trying to trying to get energy from my work mm -hmm. so that i can give energy to the things that i want to do outside of work and i find that the way i get energy from my work is by approaching it in this sort of with lightness and ease and tranquility and remembering to have fun with it and remembering that I don't need to be stressed out. And I think it's, it's easy to, and even, even had this when I, when I wasn't working for myself. So when I was working as a doctor, it's, it's very easy to sort of approach it with a frantic energy of like, Oh shit, all this shit needs to be done and, and mm. stuff. Yeah. Um, and I found that on days where I would have that attitude towards it, I would just feel completely drained and it wasn't fun. But on days where I had exactly the same to-do list, but I approached it with a sense of, hmm, I've got a lot of things to do today. This is going to be fun. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a quote from Grey's Anatomy where um, Patrick Dempsey, the neurosurgeon, he always starts his operations with, uh, it's a beautiful day to save lives. Let's have some fun. Nice. And I sometimes think about that yeah. as being like, that is actually a way of approaching anything. Mm. It's a beautiful day to save lives. Let's have some fun. That's amazing. Regardless of what's actually happening in the thing. And so I, I try and remind myself to do that with with work stuff or whenever I feel frantic or harried in any kind of way. Yeah. Just taking that breath 
being like, no, it's all good. And I can choose to approach this with, I guess, Ru, <laughs> rather yeah. than, yeah. Totally. I think, I think attitude is, like, I know some people get annoyed when you talk about just have a positive attitude or a good attitude, but I really think that it does so much to how you approach things and how you see things. Like, if I think to myself, okay, I have to create this video this week and I have to do this and that, and I kind of stress myself up of all the things that I have to do and accomplish and the time that I have doing it and deadlines. I'm just going to be stressed out. I'm not going to enjoy the process as much. And it's probably not going to turn out as well either because it's going to start feeling like this thing that I just have to do rather than this thing that I want to do. If I instead try to be like, okay, I have to write the script. I'm going to grab my coffee. I'm going to sit on the couch. I'm going to put my dog in my lap and we're going to go about this. And somehow we feel like if we have more of a calm approach to things we're not as productive you know it's not as efficient you kind of i can at least feel sometimes like okay why am i not feeling too stressed about this does yeah. that mean that i'm slacking even if i'm getting as much done and getting it done better than i would have had otherwise there's something in me and maybe in you and other people where you kind of feel like being productive means that you need to feel like you're running around and you're doing this and that and you're switching between tasks and you're like you want to feel a little bit stressed that can sometimes make you feel like you're being more productive whereas if you're drinking coffee and you're just kind of having this calm vibe you might feel like you're not being as productive even if you are so i'm just trying to lean into the fact that i can actually approach things being more chill yeah. with that grace anatomy quote attitude and i can still yield the same results and enjoy the process a lot more have you come across uh, Derek Sivers? I don't think so. He's like this, uh, a, you know, used to be an entrepreneur, sold his money, uh, so, so, sold his company for a lot of money and then decided to live the chill life of kind of doing what he wants. And he's, he's, he's written a couple of really good books about like, like intentional living and stuff. Um, but there's a really good story that he talks about of how, you know, he, I think he used to live in like Australia or something and he used to sort of cycle the length of some cycle path. And he would always try and like go as fast as possible. And he'd be like, okay, I need to beat 42 minutes. I need to beat 42 minutes. And 42 minutes was his number. Um, and then one day he decided, you know what? I'm just going to take a chill. Like I'm actually, gonna, I'm not going to huff and puff. I'm going to enjoy, in, I'm going to enjoy the cycle ride as I'm going along. And, you know, he was like, I'm not going to time myself. I'm just going to go around the cycle. You know, I'm going to, I might like wave at some people along the way, listen to the birds. I really enjoy myself. And he gets back home and he looks at his clock and it's 44 minutes. And he's like, shit. Wow. For the last like six months, have I just been huffing and puffing for the sake of two minutes? Like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> and now he like, there's, I think there's a, a a wider message in that that yeah. huffing and puffing actually does not necessarily lead to the outcome that you think it's going to get to. Exactly. I think that's exactly what I mean. Yeah. Or what I'm trying to say, huffing and puffing. Exactly. I haven't heard of that, but yeah, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Where <laughs> I think that example is great, and that's I'm just trying to embrace more of that. Nice. So someone listening to this might be like, well. Lana and Ali, it's easy for you guys to say, you guys are YouTubers, you make videos about what you want, like, uh, screw you, like, I've got a real job. Um, yeah. Given that you've, you've written, a lot, written a lot about this, how, if, let's say someone has a real job, maybe potentially has, like, family obligations, plus or minus kids at home, um, any tips on finding Ru in Ooh. the midst of a hectic life? Right. Um, so I'm not even going to try and put myself in the position of someone having kids and a family and all of that. I know that when I started YouTube and I was working as well and I was doing both, the thing that gave me Ru, which I was doing 
every single morning before going to work was actually working out at a quiet gym where no one was because it was very early. So somehow it was a sacrifice because I was getting up very early um, and maybe not getting enough sleep. But that was a way for me back then to have some time to myself where I wasn't working on anything and I was just doing something that was good for me. And I felt energized, but I, it wasn't frantic. It was just me alone at the gym working out. And so I think, I think you can find little things that you can do, but maybe there's another sacrifice that has to be done. Like maybe you have to set your alarm a little bit earlier, or maybe at your lunch break, like go to your car and eat it there if you want to get get away from some people. I know that I would do that sometimes and just not to my car, but just leave everyone and go have lunch by myself. Just any opportunity that you can find where you can spend that time away from the crowd and away from the noise, whether that is when you're having lunch or your coffee or waking up earlier and working out or journaling a little bit before you go to bed. I think we can find those moments. They don't have to be long moments. They can be a couple minutes. Like go to your balcony if you have one and stand there with no devices for a couple minutes and just take a few breaths. Like something as simple as that, I think, can do more than we think. And most people probably have two minutes some sometime throughout the day to just go away from the crowd and take a breather. Yeah. I would hope. Yeah. Yeah, I was interviewing someone last week who is a psychiatrist and neuroscientist, and we were talking about a similar concept as well. Um, uh, from a sort of science perspective, it's kind of resetting the nervous system um, where you've got the sympathetic nervous system, which is your fight or flight response, the anxiety, the stress, the sort of this is useful if you're running away from a lion. And then you have the parasympathetic nervous system, which is where you're chill, sort of rest, digest, recharge, that kind of vibe. And how, you know, she cited some study that showed that like 75% of workers in the US are in sort of sympathetic overdrive mode where they're like in this state of mild anxiety and stress in their workday. And how is it just really bad for your health? It drives up your cortisol level, increases your blood pressure, all these, all these bad things. And something like, something as simple as looking into the, into the distance, like into the horizon and taking some deep breaths for like 30 seconds just tells your body, no, it's chill. I don't have a tiger that's chasing me right now. It's just my boss being a bit of a dick. Like, yeah. I don't need to let this affect my tranquility. Yeah. And even just 30 seconds can profoundly recharge someone's energy levels. Absolutely. And there's a bunch of stuff that shows that, you know, taking a break every 45 minutes and even just like getting off your desk and just taking a few deep breaths just lets your body relax. And the more relaxed, the more parasympathetically you can kind of activate yourself, the more likely you are to recharge your energy and to feel more of that sense of peace and peace and stillness and tranquility this idea of i guess yeah i think just not forcing yourself to be in a situation if you feel like you need a couple minutes like um i know in the beginning when i was working my nine to five i thought it was very weird like going away during lunch just to have a couple minutes to myself because are people gonna think like where's lana why is she leaving and something is off but no one really cares I don't think no one is going to question you or think you're a weirdo if you just go away for a few minutes or decide to have a lunch by yourself. Or if you're having a break and someone's like, hey, do you want to take a walk together? If you want to go alone once in a while, like that's fine. And I think yeah. we should just embrace those moments and no one's actually going to care that much. And yeah. it's important to grab those moments when we need them and when we have the opportunity. Yeah, I love that. Like, so um, 
again, when I was when I was working as a doctor, um, in the early days, me and most of my friends who started around that time, it's like it was super super stressful. They were like, oh, there's so, too much to do, and there's so much to do that we can't take a lunch break because like there's just literally too much to do, and like you know can't stop for coffee. You just have to keep going because all these things are urgent. All these things are happening, and then very quickly our seniors told us that no, you need to take a lunch break. You need to take coffee breaks. Nothing bad will happen. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And we started doing that and realized that actually taking a coffee break like two or three times is going down to the local Costa, waiting in line for five minutes, getting a latte and going back up. It just takes like takes away five or 10 minutes. And, you know, there's very unlikely to be a life or death emergency in that five or 10 minutes. Yeah. And, it, and if it is, the crash buzzer is going <clears> to <throat> ring and someone else will be yeah. there. But you can take that time. Totally. And if that time, that five or 10 minutes returns so much ROI because it just helps you avoid burnout and feel more confident and tranquil and comfortable at work and, and stuff. And all of the, and that has so many more benefits compared to thinking that you have to, I guess, burn the afterburners and skip lunch yeah. just for the sake of writing an extra discharge, discharge letter a little bit earlier. Totally. And I think, let's say there was an emergency, you're probably going to be, have a better, be in a better mind space if you've taken a couple minutes off where you kind of recharge a little bit as opposed to if you've just been going and going and going all day you're probably going to be more tired and exhausted so i think that applies for work as well if you're just going and going and going without breaks because you feel like you can't or you feel guilty or you need to be super productive yeah. and breaks are for lazy people <laughs> or whatever you're telling yourself yeah. i think you're just doing the opposite you're burning yourself out and you're not going to be as effective and maybe most importantly you're not going to enjoy yourself as much you're just going to feel exhausted and if you're not enjoying what you're doing the results are probably not going to be as good as if you were enjoying what you're doing yeah yeah and there's a lot like i think there's a book the happiness advantage that talks about how people who feel happy at work also perform way better and it's not the other way around it's not that performance leads to happiness it's that happiness leads to performance and so if we can find ways to feel happier feel more content with the work that we're doing inevitably that's going to lead to performance improvements but also we're having a better life so yeah. like, why why wouldn't why yeah, don't you try it? Because you're spending so much time in work. Like so much of your life is working. And so finding any loophole or tactic or anything to make it a bit easier and more enjoyable, mm -hmm. I think it's at least worth exploring. Love it. Yeah. What what kind of stuff do you find disturbs your tranquility on a day-to-day -day basis? I think mainly if something is off in any of my relationships, like if I've had a fight with someone or someone is mad at me or anything like that, I think that's the biggest thing. Nothing else really gets to me as much as things not going well or smoothly in my relationships. I think that's the thing. What do you do about it when you find that that's the case? Um, well, I try to, I try for it to not get to the extent where something is, you know, there's an argument. I try to solve things as quickly as possible. That's something I've learned throughout the years instead of kind of um, leaving things be. And I think it's better to talk about things and try to be on a, try to, try to have peace in your relationships. If something is bothering me or bothering them, I always try to solve it as quickly as possible and if it's unsolvable i'm still working on trying to still go about my day and not i just get very affected by like things being off with the people around me and do you do you experience that at all like if you've had a fight with 
your brother or, I don't know, someone. Do you feel like it's affecting your work or how you're feeling about your day? Not really. Um, <laughs> so I, I, t I tend not to have that many fights, mm -hmm. except with my mom. Um, well, let's say you've had a fight with your mom. Yeah. Do you feel like your day is not ruined, but like you're not going to be as excited or... No, really. I feel like yeah. I'm pretty good at compartmentalizing and also I think the stoicism Kool-Aid I've been drinking for decades tells me that is is this within my control? No. Okay. I can just choose to think to be okay with it then. Well, I how do you get to a point where you actually believe that? Like, I, I think I, I got to that point by telling myself that repeatedly over many years and to the point where it's now like, because I, 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 I strongly think, I strongly feel that we can control our feelings. Uh, maybe we can't control that initial, you know, that initial gut level reaction. But, you know, there's a bunch of stuff about how emotions are renewed every 90 seconds. And mm -hmm. if you feel anger, anger will only last for 90 seconds. And then if it lasts for longer than that, it's because you're choosing to tell yourself a story that's causing the anger really? to be renewed. Oh. Yeah, those, I can't remember what the book is, but there's, there's some oh, compelling, love to read more compelling about uh, kind of stats on this. And similarly, you know, the, a book like The Courage to Be Disliked or any of the books on Stoicism talk about this idea of, you know, you've got stimulus and response and in between those two, there's a gap and you can choose your response. Mm. And so if I have had a fight with my mum, or if, I don't know, something has not worked out with another relationship, I can choose the way I respond to that to an extent. Like yeah. I've, I've been lucky in that I haven't had like a major, like absolute catastrophic thing happen. Yeah. But I think over time with the, with the little things in particular, I've become good at being like, yeah, this is a thing. My initial response is anger or frustration or upsetness or whatever. Cool, that's fine. I, I can choose to tell myself a different story. That 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 means that I can I, you know, that the the quote which is um, pain is inevitable but suffering is optional. Yeah. So I've experienced the pain of the initial emotion, yeah. but I can choose to not suffer. Mm. And how seamless is that for you? Is it always obvious that you can just think that and believe it? Or is it harder sometimes? Yeah, it's harder sometimes. Um, yeah, like yesterday, you know, I had a bit of a, a disagreement with my girlfriend about some something. And I was feeling a bit like, I was feeling a bit frustrated and a bit annoyed. And I was like, okay, no, you know, take a few deep breaths, figure out how I feel about this. And then we had a, we had a conversation about it. And after about 20 minutes of conversation, turns out it was a misunderstanding where mm. we both like were on a different page about the same thing. And it's like, okay, now we resolve the misunderstanding and we kind of talked about it. And I was like, great, this is awesome. And yeah. so, but, but I, I did feel that initial sense of like annoyance and frustration. Yeah. I was like, okay, deep breath, it's fine. <laughs> Let's have a rational conversation about yeah. it. But I think that's the key, having a conversation about it. I think if you were to go to bed annoyed or if you were not with her at the time, yeah. let's say you were not able to see her or... Yeah, yeah. Talk to yeah. her. Then, do you feel like that could affect your like if that was unresolved until right now? Yeah. Do you feel like your workday would have been like? Yeah. Would you have thought about it, or can you just put it to the side and get to work? I w I would have thought about it. Yeah. Um, I would I would have t I would tell myself I can put it to the side and forget about it and deal with it later. But I would it would sort of be in the back of my mind um, until we have our regular relationship review where we kind of go through some questions and. Well, like, what is that? Oh, it's great. This is a thing I've been, I've been, yeah, I've been recommending this to all my friends. Um, I'm like, can we switch gears? Because I need to yeah. hear about this. <laughs> um, so this is an idea from Logan Urie's book, How to Not Die Alone. Mm. She's, uh, you know, behavioral scientist turned relationship coach, um, which is over there, actually. Uh, yes. And 
yeah, she says basically that anyone in a relationship should have like a weekly-ish review. Mm-hmm. Um, we do ours like every every three weeks or so because we don't see each other that often, maybe like once or twice a week. Mm-hmm. So every three weeks or so we'll do a review where there's like a notion page with like 10 questions. Wow. <laughs> and we just go through the questions and... That's very Ali having that on Notion. Yeah, although it was it was her who actually made the Notion page initially. Oh, so it was okay. like, yeah, that's when I knew she was the one. Uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, and we just go through the questions and, you know, the first half are like, um, you know, how's, how's this week been for our relationship? What's something, you know, how are you feeling? What's something I did that made you feel loved or appreciated or supported? Um, what's something you'd like to do more of together? And then it's like, you know, what's one way, what's one thing I did that made you feel bad or sad or annoyed in any kind of way? How can I make it better? What can I do differently? And usually, you know, through answering these questions, it's just a good chance to ask meta level questions about the relationship that wouldn't otherwise come up in day-to-day life. And so generally, if she or I have like a thing, because I feel like the, the problem in relationships from a bit of experience and from what I've read is that the little things can become big things over time. Yeah. And a little thing is often too little to bring up in the moment, especially when you're apart, like when they're at work. It's like, mm. I'm not going to message to be like, hey, you know that little thing that you said? That, that was, right. It, it would just be a bit weird to do that because right. it just interrupts things. And so the review gives a chance for like every couple of weeks, at least a chance to review and touch base on those things. And the benefit is that usually a week has elapsed between the event happening and the review. So then you can approach it with less of an emotional kind of spin and mm. more like, hey, so when you did X, it made me feel Y. And, you know, just to let you know. And they're usually like, oh my God, I had no idea. Like, you know, let's change that. And does it usually feel, because it sounds a little bit like a, not a venting session, but a little bit like you're kind of venting on things that maybe you've thought of or things that you want to get out there. Do you feel, like, do the both of you feel better and like at ease after you've had your... definitely. Like we often say afterwards, like, oh, I'm glad we did this review. Or like... Sometimes we'll say, be like, oh, if it feels like it's been a while since we've done a review, we should probably do one. Whereas like maybe there's like one or two small things that have sort of sort of like are in the background and mm-hmm. are too small to bring up. And so the review brings them to light. And yeah, I think it's been one of the one of the things that's taught me the most over the last year of being in the relationship. That oh damn, I didn't realize that people have emotions. I, I didn't realize <laughs> that like you would think of things in this way but it it makes sense now that you've explained it and so i can weave that into my mental model of the Mm. world okay yeah and do you feel like since you're having this review with her do you feel like you're kind of saving things that you might be like things that might be bothering you Mm. or that you're thinking about or do you still bring those things up as well or do you guys save it to the review yeah how do you go about that that's a good question so sometimes like if if we're there in the moment Mm -hmm. then then i'll bring it up but I generally prefer to have this, the, the conversation in person rather than on the phone. Yeah. So if, for example, we're not seeing each other for a week or two, then to me, I, I'd, I'd be thinking, okay, is this something worth bringing up over the phone or over WhatsApp? Probably not. I'll just save it to the review. Okay. But if it's something big, then we'll, yeah. we'll bring it up over the phone if necessary. Yeah. Um, nice. Yeah. It's, it's almost like, like, you know, having a one-on-one when you have like employees and stuff, a one-on-one mm-hmm. with the manager, yeah. where a lot of things you can just say for the one-on-one. Because you don't have to interrupt them and send them a message on Slack to be like, hey, let's talk about this thing. You can be like, oh, you know, it's it's a thing that we can talk about in the next one-on-one. Yeah. Unless it's sufficiently big to yeah. warrant an immediate discussion. Okay. Um, yeah, because yeah. I remember a friend's colleague told me that his boss and his boss's wife would do something similar. Where every week or every two weeks they would sit down and... I don't know if it was from this book or if it was like a set of questions. But they would just talk openly about how have you felt about the relationship this weekend is something on your mind you want to talk about 
anything in particular and how have you felt appreciated and how can we make things better yeah, and exactly. having that conversation so yeah i'd recommend <laughs> okay cool um i'll carry that with me yeah so you you put out a couple of videos recently talking about like your experiences of dating your experience of relationships hmm. um i guess let's start with date with dating um what have you learned from kind of dating life over the last however number of years wow um and i guess if if you were giving advice to your younger self mm -hmm. who's like let's say someone's listening to this and they're recently single they've been in a relationship for a while but now they're like single and they're on the market again as yeah. it were and they've got the they're like oh hinge tinder bump like, oh god it feels like a real faff like and i guess from your perspective as a girl presumably you'll get loads of matches and loads of people are weird like what's 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 that like <laughs> getting a lot of matches just like being a girl on a dating app <laughs> um <laughs> which by definition means getting a lot of matches from, from from every other girl's dating apps that i've ever seen <laughs> um i think mm, well there is definitely something to it i mean everyone knows i think that women tend to get more matches than men but i think it gets confused with you know a lot does not mean you know good right so you could be let's give an example like you could be getting a lot of uh, cookies, but maybe half of them are too old to moldy. eat. And yeah, moldy and <laughs> yeah. they're breaking and okay. there was a worm in one and you don't want to have that one. So yeah. does it matter that you're getting a lot of cookies if none of them are worth eating? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so I think it's something, I think quantity and quality is, like quantity is getting confused for quality like mm. let's say you're getting i don't know what's the right number you're getting 20 matches this week yeah. um which may be a lot or a little depending on how you see it <laughs> yeah. i don't know um <laughs> sounds like a lot <laughs> that does not mean, that's not, yeah. mean that all 20 are eligible for you or that that's something that you could see yourself being with or spending your life with or whatever yeah. you're looking for but I guess it, it does it does mean you have more options. Yeah. So of those 20, even if like 10% are reasonable. Definitely. Then. Yeah. yeah. I think in that way. But I think, I mean, I don't know what it's like, obviously, being a guy on a yeah. dating app. I've talked to some guys on dating apps. So that also depends. I mean, uh, women are pickier. Yeah. That's that's just the fact. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I mean, both women and men, I think, have the right to be pick picky. I don't think that's a that's a problem. Yeah. Um, as long as it's realistic and you don't have your standards come from like a rom-com or anything like that. Um, but yeah, what is it like dating? I think dating in today's climate is difficult for everyone because a lot of it is online. We don't, I don't think we meet as often as maybe we used to people in person unless you're in school or maybe through work and now so many people are working from home and so I think naturally a lot of people are drawn to dating apps, which is kind of unnatural because normally when you meet someone, um, it's, you know, it's obviously the looks and how you feel about the person, but it's also like how their energy is feeling and their voice and their eye contact and their scent and all of these things play a role in how we feel about someone when we meet them organically in person. And you have none of that when you meet someone online. So it's it's tough. And so you just go based on pictures um, and some information on their profile and an exchange of conversation that you have. 
or a call. I always recommend having a call before meeting someone. Oh, yeah. Do you normally suggest that? Yeah, always. Really? Video call. Video call. Damn. Yeah. How do people respond? Uh, they're like, yeah, sure. Yeah. No one's been resistant. Yeah. Have you never done that? Um, I did it like over the kind of lockdown period. I went yeah. on a few Zoom dates, and I didn't particularly enjoy any of them. Oh. But like, yeah, someone else did tell me that like it, like that if you have too many options like if you're if it's not a supply problem that you're dealing with <laughs> then a call is a really helpful way of just like eliminating just a very easy and quick and painless way to eliminate people from from the list yeah because you can just immediately check do you vibe over facetime exactly because if you don't or if they don't have an iphone then <laughs> they're <laughs> exactly. just like exactly you know, <laughs> cut from the list <laughs> yeah. immediately yeah. um i think it's two things so i think firstly what you said like okay are we clicking at all or is this just like, do I know right from the bat that this is not going anywhere? And also, I think um, maybe particularly as a woman, just making sure it's uh, someone who isn't like weird or yeah. that feels, you know, I don't know, dangerous or uh, anything like that. And for men as well, something can be like a catfish. But yeah, I think it's always good to have a video call with someone. Mm. Okay. Yeah. What are some other, uh, I guess things that you've learned over the years the kind of tips that you share with people so i guess one of them is have a video call yeah have a video Any, call. anything else that um giving people a chance i think we're very quick sometimes when we go on a date with someone being like oh they're wearing the wrong shoes or um they said something that didn't fully align with something that i believe in and we might eliminate them for these reasons that may be something that is not um like shouldn't be a determining factor if you want to like have a serious relationship with someone if you're just looking for something casual yeah maybe you're more shallow because you know i don't know uh, something like that but if you're looking for something long term i think not overlooking someone completely just because something does not fully resonate with you yeah. or um because they seem to be different from you in some way like most things it could probably work despite them being um, yeah, weird in some way. Yeah. Because <laughs> we all have things that are like someone's going to be like, oh, you do that? That's kind of strange. I don't do that. Yeah. And just being like if more... you're a YouTuber, for example, and people are just like, what the hell? That's a bit weird. It is a bit weird yeah. to some people. And some people get scared. They're like, oh, that's what does that mean? Um, so I think just giving people more of a chance, but not not to the extent where you see someone for a month and you're not feeling it. Right, because then it's like, okay, you've been seeing this person for a month. You've gone on, I don't know, eight dates, and there is nothing happening in your body. You're not excited. You look into their eyes, and there's nothing drawing you in. Then it's probably not your person. Hmm. Um, so somewhere between one date and eight dates is uh, yeah. Well, in, eight in, dates is kind of a lot. In How to Not Die Alone, her her, her rule is the two date rule, which okay. is that always go on the second date mm. unless there is like a major red flag on the first. Mm. And then you can decide after the second date. Oh, Because okay. normally people are a bit weird on the first date anyway. It's a bit unusual and uncomfortable. Yeah. And the second date gives another shot. As, again, assuming yeah. there's no like massive red flags. Yeah, I think so. I think that's reasonable. Unless, unless you meet them and you just really are not interested at all. Like you don't even want to listen to them talk. Because yep. <laughs> there's just no chemistry, then maybe not a second date. But I think that's generally good advice. Like if you're like this like if it, if it's a maybe i think that's good enough 
I don't really buy this whole thing of it has to be a hell yes from the beginning. Because, like, does that happen a lot to people? I have a hard time believing majority of people are like, oh, yeah, from, like, the moment I saw this person, yeah. it was just perfect and I knew. I think most people land somewhere in between. Yeah, it was okay. Like, I was willing to see this person again. Mm. I think it's okay to expect that and not expect fireworks yeah. and, you know, having a jungle doing jumping up and down in your stomach the first time you see them. I don't think yeah. that has to be necessary. Nice. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> I'm, I'm very, uh, very do you think aligned, you need to feel? Do you think you need to feel all the butterflies and everything like the first time you see someone? Yeah, no, probably not. Um, I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, this is the, this is the, the thing I've always kind of had, had in my mind as a question mark mm -hmm. of like, how long do you give it? Because if I think of people who I like, who I had a crush on at like university, if it wasn't someone I was immediately attracted to from day one, then it took like months to years of getting to know them to be like, oh, hang on, like oh, we get on really, really? well. Like, I, wow. oh, wow, she's kind of cool. You know, that kind of vibe. Mm. And it wouldn't have happened within like one, two or three dates yeah. in, that, in that case. Yeah. And so... At one point, I had a three-date rule in my mind of like, look, maybe my standards are too high. Maybe I'm just like, I'm just doing this wrong. I'm going to always go on at least three dates, uh, okay. know, assuming the other person is down for it. And then I did this once or twice. And I was like, no, I, I like two, two or three times. I was like, I mean, I kind of knew from date number one that we weren't going to get on, but I just forced myself to mm. go on the rest, which seemed a bit unfair in hindsight. And so it's like, I was always a bit unsure as to how do you know whether it's just like dead in the water completely or yeah. if it's like a maybe. And I think that was sort of where I landed on of like, if I'm at least a maybe, then it's worth going on the second date. Yeah. Um, with my current with with my current girlfriend, it was fortunate that it it was a hell yeah from day one, <laughs> and so I didn't I didn't have that issue to deal with. Right. Um, and it was really the first time that I dated someone in a long time where I was looking forward to the second date because mm. previously what I always had was like, oh, damn, it's in the calendar. Well, that's a good sign. I should probably go on the second date because like you know the book says so, so. Mm. <laughs> but. Okay. Well, so you had that hell yeah. With I her. had the hell yeah, yeah. Um, nice. Which makes me a bit suspicious because I'm like, oh, damn. <laughs> I, I, I wish like a rule had come to fruition and then I could have been like, the rule's really good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Alrighty. So we were talking about dating. Um, what advice would you have for guys who are dating? Like do's and don'ts. What, yeah, w what do guys need to know in your view when it comes to dating? Mm, well, I feel like it's not a lot of guys' favorite thing when a woman gives dating advice. Somehow when I do this and I like try to give advice to men, some people get upset saying, I don't know. How dare you? Yeah, like how dare I? Okay, so in that case, from, from your perspective, what have been some things that guys have done that have like turned you off or like have been particularly good? Um, okay, so from my perspective. Yes. So we're not uh, speaking not, for all guys here, but we're it's not, purely for you. Exactly, yeah. it's purely from my perspective. Yeah. Um, Honestly, things like basic hygiene. <laughs> what does basic hygiene it's look like? True. Like, what do you, what do you mean uh, Brushed teeth, smelling nice, clothes that look like you cared at all to come on this date. Because um, some people like, will think it's happened that someone comes and I don't know. It doesn't look like they care. Because usually, like, if I go on a date, I will, you know, I'll care and I'll dress up and I'll fix my hair. And so you kind of want to feel like the other person is meeting your effort okay 
Um, so if they rock up in just like tracksuit bottoms with like as if looking as if they've just come from the gym, then unless you're into it, maybe like some people are. Some so that's why it's so hard speaking in general terms. But personally, I want to feel like I mean you don't have to wear a suit. That's not what I'm talking about. You can wear jeans and a t-shirt, but have it look intentional. Okay. I think so that's not like a crumply t-shirt. At least maybe maybe yeah. trying to own it. Exactly. Like you want to feel like this person put some effort in. Okay. Because it makes you feel like. Because it's kind of like the halo effect, right? Where you feel like, okay, they put effort into this, so there's someone who cares, and they put effort into other things. Whereas if someone shows up and they haven't cared at all, at least it doesn't look like they cared at all, you kind of start thinking, oh, there's someone who is just careless, and they, you know, you start applying it to so many other areas, which not may not even be true, but you don't know. You can only go off of your first impression. So I think basic hygiene. Okay. Um, Anything else? Ooh. Um, being interested I think is important it's definitely it's I've had the experience where someone where you get the impression they just wanted someone to rant to kind oh, of okay and that's not very pleasant I mean you want it to be a mutual exchange of getting to know each other where you're asking questions and they're asking questions mm. and I know a lot of people struggle with this but I think eye contact is important because I think the eyes when you're going on a date with someone is they say so much to partly where you're feeling about the person. Does it feel like there could be, you know, a romance there or mm. does it feel very platonic? So I think if you're struggling with eye contact, try to practice eye contact. Not like you don't have to stare at someone's eyes, but giving them the chance to see what it feels like to look inside your eyes. And I think it just creates more of a connection. So that's why I think if you're going on a walk, even just looking over at the person instead of just walking straight ahead without looking at them at all, it makes you appear less engaging, in my experience, with the person. And you want them to feel engaged with you. Um, and then I think, as cliche as it sounds, being yourself, you know, not trying to present, obviously put your best foot forward, um, but also don't try to present a perfect version of yourself that doesn't exist because if you guys keep dating you know your true self is gonna come out eventually and then they're gonna be like wait i thought you were this super clean you know organized sporty person and here you are all you want to do is do this and that all day and so not pretending because you don't want someone to like you when you're not being you that's kind of pointless you want them to like you when you're being you so I feel like I can go on and on about oh, this topic. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was, okay, so personal hygiene, being interested, being yourself, yeah. eye contact, anything else? I mean, those are the very basics. And then I think, I think also accepting the fact that this may or may not be something that is going to like they, there may or may not be a second date. So not putting too much pressure on, okay, this has to go well and they have to like me and what can I say to make them want to see me again and rather kind of seeing it as like, do you like them? Do you guys have chemistry? Like, is this, do you feel like you could be friends too? Instead of putting all this pressure on, is this going to be my next girlfriend? Am I going to marry this person? Like, sure, if that's what you're looking for, you might have those questions in the back of your mind. But giving him more of a chance of like, okay, this is just someone I'm meeting and we're just going to see if we're vibing and if 
there is something there that we want to keep building on or not. And trying not to put too much weight on it, I think. Because then you're going to be nervous and stressed and that may make you behave in a way that isn't actually you. And that may ruin things. So try to keep the nerves in check, and which is hard, especially if you're interested. Because you're going to be more nervous if you see someone and you're like, oh, wow, this is someone that I feel I could be interested in. That's going to make you more nervous. But um, find a mantra maybe or something that you keep telling to yourself. Like, I'm just seeing this person, another human being, and we're going to take it as it goes. Do you have any advice for women? Good question. <laughs> Damn. I've been on very few like bad dates. Okay. Like, What's a bad date? Yeah, that's that's the thing. I don't I don't really know. Um I've had like a few where we just haven't really clicked. Yeah. But that's like really useful to know. Like yeah. and I, there's nothing that I or them could have done to force that connection. Yeah. I feel like most of the women I know have had a lot worse experiences of like being on a bad date. Yeah. Cause like I guess for a guy, worst case scenario, the date's kind of boring. For a girl, worst case scenario is like really bad. Yeah. <laughs> so totally. um I think most women I know have had a lot more, yeah, a lot their their share of bad experiences. Yeah. And I think um not making the first date too extravagant. Because you don't want to put that pressure on either of you. So some people, let's say the guy in this example, may think that it's impressive asking a girl on a three meal course or like a I don't know, something that's kind of over the top to somehow impress her. And again, some women might enjoy that. Personally, for me and the like my girlfriends and what we talked about, we're all we all agree on the fact that the first date should be very simple. Yeah. Like a walk and a coffee or something like that. Like a maybe like a small picnic. Not more than that. Because you also don't want to put the pressure on her to like stay throughout a three-course meal, yeah. let's say, if none of you are feeling it. And I think the best way of getting to know someone, like getting getting an idea of who someone is, is through doing something very simple together, such as taking a walk or a coffee or like a small lunch at yeah. most, okay. I think. What do you think? Do you think yeah. first extravagant dates are... Nah, not a fan. I like, yeah. I like doing doing something on the first date. Okay. Some, some people say... So... Um, one of the classic examples of dating advice for guys mm -hmm. that other guys would say is never do lunch or mm -hmm. coffee because that creates a sort of platonic friends kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. Whereas going for drinks or dinner creates a little, like at, at nighttime, there's just a little bit more of a less of a we're just friends kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. I've always kind of ignored that advice because I really like doing lunches and breakfasts yeah. and brunches and coffees. I'm not a huge fan of dinner on the first date. but Yeah. Yeah. No. I don't think that either. I mean, I think lunch or coffee is great. I don't think it has to be at nighttime. Sure, nighttime, like, inevitably kind of feels more, a little bit more intimate, a bit more romantic, maybe. But I think there's something very wholesome about, yeah. like, taking a morning walk with yeah. someone or, yeah, like, I'll... meeting at noon and grabbing a coffee. Yeah, I, I much prefer that approach because I feel like, for me anyway, the sort of, like, most interactions with the person are not going to be intimate nighttime romantic setting. Yeah. They're going to be, like, the day-to-day What's it like grabbing a coffee with you? What's it like having lunch? Exactly. And I think setting that out on the first day and just seeing seeing what that vibe is like yeah. is, is quite nice. I agree. Um, you put out a video recently called something like Self-Care is Killing You or something like that. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
I changed the title so many times. Oh, you did? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I must have caught an error. <laughs> what is self-care and what are your broadly, broadly your thoughts on the concept of self-care? I think with the self-care trend, my definition of self-care also became like doing a face mask and, you know, relaxing and watching an episode of something without feeling guilty and making a green juice or, you know, reading a book just for fun. Um, kind of the opposite of working and the opposite of hustling and all of that. And to some extent, you know, I bought into it, but I think I bought into it too much where I started feeling like doing all these things weren't actually making me feel good in the long run. So there are some things that make me feel good in the long run. Like I actually feel good when I work hard on a video and I actually feel good when I have um, something in my life go well that I've been working on. That makes me feel good in the long run, even if in the moment I might feel resistant. Like I feel good when I've been working out consistently for a long time and eating well and all of that. And in the moment that might feel like, oh, well, it's not self-care because you're not actually wanting to do the thing. You would rather relax and you deserve to relax. And I think it's been very emphasized that we should just relax and we should, you know, we shouldn't work too hard and we should take care of ourselves. And yes, to some extent, yes. But also, I think it's easy to let those things become a distraction and an escape, like a, an excuse for not doing what you should be doing in the name of self-care. And I think I fell into that. And so now self-care to me is thinking, is this serving future me or am I escaping something right now? Like, am I putting on a face mask when I should be working on the script just because I deserve some self-care? Um, so yeah, I think in, in a nutshell, self-care to me right now is just serving my future self. So sometimes that might be the face mask, but sometimes it might be actually cranking out the video. Yeah. Like it's not not self-care just because it feels a bit difficult or because I feel resistant because a lot of the good things or things that are going to be good for us in the long run are things that are a bit uncomfortable or where there is resistant resistance in the moment. So I think I think that's okay. And we can lean into that and know that it's going to give give us like the benefits may come in the long run rather than um, rather than using self-care as a way to escape from responsibility, which I think is easy to kind of fall into. Like, oh, well, I deserve this four-hour break. And kind of, I think it's easy falling into that mindset. And it's like, where do you draw the line between I'm taking care of myself and relaxing and I'm procrastinating and escaping what I should be doing? Like, how do you find that balance? Hmm. I don't know. So I like to. Uh, hmm. I. I don't like the phrase "should be doing," um, because usually that implies someone else's priority rather than my own. Sometimes it's a "should be doing" because it's my own thing. Like, I shouldn't go through the McDonald's drive-through at midnight because it's generally eating that would be an unhealthy choice and I want to be the sort of person who eats healthily. But when it's the context of 
oh, I should film this video right now. I always have a bit of a, an allergic reaction to that because I think back in the day when, when the channel was just starting out, you know, that I was, you know, that consistency was, was very important. Um, but I feel like over time, I don't know, just, just sort of thinking out loud here, but I sort of feel like I already have enough. And when I say I should film this video, like what, who's, who's the should behind that? Is it me thinking I should film the video because even though I don't want to, or I don't feel like it right now, is it, I should film this video because this is going to be a good video. It's going to cause growth, which is going to increase the revenue. But it's like, why am I trying to grow? Why am I trying to raise revenue? Like I already have enough. Like, mm -hmm. and I get into this weird thing where it's almost like, have you, have you come, have you come across the midwit meme? No. So, okay. So I'm going to try and describe it for people. <laughs> so like, imagine like a bell curve. Okay. And it's like an IQ bell curve mm -hmm. where you've got 100 IQ in the middle, you have like 60 IQ on one end and you have like 150 IQ on the other end and you have like a normal distribution. And the meme is basically that like the person who's like got an IQ, an IQ of 60 would say, I just use Apple Notes. The person of an IQ 150 also says, I just use Apple Notes. But the person in the middle is like, I use Notion and Rome and Evernote and this and that. I have my PKM system. I have my Zettelkasten, et cetera. It's all that shit. And it's like, you know, there is, like, on, on the other end of mastery, there is simplicity. And it's like kind of full circle kind of vibes. And I often think of it as like, there is, there is a version of the, midweek, of the midwit meme whereby the person with I, IQ 60, kind of with all of the caveats aside that this is just, this is problematic. <laughs> I'm just trying to describe a meme for God's sake. <laughs> with all those caveats aside, the, the, per, the person who is IQ 60 says, I just do what I feel like. The person with IQ 150 says, I just do what I feel like. And the person in the middle is like, I manage my to-do list, I use my thing, I've set up my most important task every day, I do my getting things done method, capture, clarify, organize, reflect, engage, blah, 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 blah. But actually, like on the other side of that, there's like, I just do what I feel like doing. And actually, that works out. And so I'm trying to be more of that, that guy. I'm trying to be okay. more like, instead of coercing myself to do things I don't want to do in the moment, let me just actually do what I feel like. Okay. Because I think I've gotten to the point where generally, even if I just do what I feel like, things are broadly okay but i don't know if i'm yeah well so how is that with things like working out yeah so this is where this starts to become a problem because like, like eating the, healthy or things mm, like that yeah so 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 the way i think of it is that hmm. okay so rewinding me um there is a strategy that sociologists use to uh run studies on whether life is worth living Broadly. So um, if you ask people, is your life worth living? Most people would say yes. Um, but you can't really take the word for it because they're just being asked in the moment. It's just a single sample of things. So one strategy that some, some people use is they would give someone like a pager or ring them like maybe 20 times in the day. And they would ask the question of like, hey, so you're taking part in this study. What are you doing right now? And they might be like, I'm making a cup of tea or I'm writing a script for a video or I'm doing some video editing or I'm working out. And then they would ask them, if you could press a button, would you fast forward to the end of this experience? Mm. And you still get the benefit of the experience, but you don't have to experience the experience. Oh, okay. And they see what, what percentage of people, like what proportion of your day would you choose to fast forward? Oh. And I can't remember the exact stat, but it's a remarkably large percentage of most people's work day, they would choose to fast forward. Yeah. Like even though I enjoyed working as a doctor, unless I was teaching medical students, which I would not fast forward because it was fun, I couldn't wait to get to the end of the workday. 
I'd be like looking at the clock, like, oh, 5 p.m. Yes, I can go home now. So I would choose to fast forward the workday. And that's actually, so if, you, if you would choose to fast forward 10 hours of your life every day, that's like, that's pretty bad. Yeah. Um, and so I, I use this as a bit of a model to guide, am I living the sort of life I want to be living? Oh, I love that. Um, and I would choose to fast forward working out with my personal trainer. And I recognized this a few weeks ago to be like, this is bad. Like, I should find a way to stay healthy and exercise that I wouldn't choose to fast forward, right. like playing squash or tennis or badminton rather than trying to bench press. Because I'm like, I, wh why am I trying to get hench? Because I think I'm kind of trying to get six pack abs. <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> I already have a girlfriend. So, like, <laughs> um, right. so, yeah, I think the working out thing is a bit of a problem. Okay. Well, do you tell yourself then that you should be working out? Or how do you tell yourself? Because you don't want to tell yourself you should be working, right? But what do you tell yourself when it comes to working out or staying healthy? Like, how do you still do the thing without getting the allerg allergic reaction that you talked about? This doesn't work 100% of the time. But, mm. but broadly, I try and find a way to make it more energizing or make it more enjoyable mm. in some way. Or I, I, choose to, I tell myself a story that actually this is the person I want to be and I want to do this. Like this morning when I was getting lunch, it was a choice between kind of the fried salmon or the grilled mackerel and okay. i was like i want to be the sort of person that goes for the grilled mackerel because i want to live to 180 years old and i want to take care of my health therefore oh. i'm going to go for the grilled mackerel rather than oh, i should go for the grilled mackerel and so again it's just a little bit of an attitude change yeah but i find that the word should implies a lack of autonomy yeah and just re removing the word should mm -hmm. or even the phrase like i don't have enough time or i'm too busy yeah. like all yeah. of these are phrases totally. that remove the the onus on us that we control our lives and even just changing the phrasing of that or i'm choosing not to make this a priority like i don't have time to learn language x like, i'm choosing to not make it a priority right now yeah just, it just feels way better even though it's exactly the same thing yeah no i agree i also try to change my phrasing sometimes but so with the graph that you're talking about like the people on the on each side of the graph are people who say I don't need to do this thing or... Yeah, I just do what I feel like. I just do what I feel like. Yeah. So who do you think are the people in the middle? Because I feel like the people at the very end are those who are in a position where, let's say like you, like they're already successful oh, and yeah. they can choose, right? Yes. So who do you think are the people in the middle? Oh, yeah. I was very much in the middle yeah. for most of my life where like I sometimes didn't feel like doing a video, but I cranked it out anyway because consistency is important. And because I knew I had this goal I was working towards of financial independence. Um, but now that I've arrived at that, Okay. The temptation is to be more growth, growth, growth. But I have to, like, what I tell myself is actually, no, this is fine. Okay. I have enough. So getting show. to that point, yeah. was that the financial independence that got you to a point where you could be like, I do what I feel like? Yeah. Was that the... No. That was always that was always the goal. Like, ever since mm -hmm. I read the four-hour work week, um, back when I was, like, 17, yeah. I was like, you know, this is this is the future that I want where I can choose to work if I feel like it, but I don't have to. So besides enjoying what you're doing, yeah. how do you keep staying motivated when you already have what was your biggest goal with all of this, which was financial independence? How do you continue finding meaning in doing this? Because you're doing a lot too. It's not just videos. I mean, you're, um, it's yeah, a podcast and, it's, and stuff. Yeah. yeah, so many things, courses and all of that. So what continues to drive you? So let's put the courses aside because the, the thing that drives the courses is I want to make more money so that I can sustain the business, et cetera, et cetera. The thing that drives me now, honestly, is that I want to be helpful to people. And, and the way I've, I discovered this was I 
asked myself, what would I want written on my gravestone? And the answer was three things, good father, good husband, and like inspirational teacher or something like that. And then I asked myself, okay, what do I want people to say at my funeral? Like different sorts of people, close friends, family, someone who's come across my work. And I'd want people to say that like, I was watching Ali's YouTube channel or I read Ali's book or I listened to Ali's podcast and he taught me something or he introduced me to an idea that then changed my life. And so that's the thing that drives me now of like, I get to be a teacher to people and I can learn cool shit and share stuff with people and some of it helps and some of it doesn't help. And like, I'm the th I'm, I'm trying to not allow money to be the motivator. But I think that's a thing I have to constantly reaffirm to myself because by default society, and actually weirdly on this podcast, I often interview people who, who are like kind of decamillionaires from selling their business and stuff. And it starts to, to become, it's, it's easy to be like, oh, I wish I had 10 million plus in the bank. And then you speak to them and they're like, I, I, I often ask, you know, like, are you any happier? And they're like, nah, but it was fun. And so it seems like even the people who are stupidly successful enjoyed the process, focused on the journey. And the result was almost inevitable. Um, so I try and keep that in mind. Okay. Yeah. How about you? How do you motivate yourself to do something when you don't feel like it necessarily? I think it's mainly two things. And I think it's both of the things that you mentioned. So the first thing is just sustaining what I'm doing and being able to continue doing it financially and yeah, sustaining the whole thing and potentially getting some other people on board and building more out of it. And then... With that being said, none of it would mean anything if what I was doing wasn't actually helping anyone. There would be no point and no motivation. So I think it's those two things, mainly. And even on bad days, just reading a comment from someone. Like if there's a day where I'm like, I just really don't feel like doing this thing right now or writing or editing or whatever it is. And then I'll, because I have a folder with comments that I've saved. From. Oh, same. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. From like comments that really were like, oh, that's so nice that I've saved. And Sometimes I'll look at that and be like, wow, like someone wrote that after watching something that I put out there. And so sometimes that's enough to just fuel me and want to continue. So, um, yeah, so much of it is just the community and the people. Journaling. Yes. You talk a lot about journaling. You've, have you got I a do. new Skillshare class about memoir journaling? Mm -hmm. What, like, what, what is journaling? What is memoir journaling? Why is it good? So yeah. I've been journaling forever i mean since i was i don't know eight or nine well at the time it was keeping a diary um writing about my day or who was gonna invite to my birthday party or things like that um but also some pretty surprisingly like sort of insightful things like when i look back about what i felt about my friends or things like that um but i've been journaling for so long and I know for sure that I would not have a YouTube channel had I not been journaling because that's where I do so much of my thinking and so much of that is what creates the videos is things that I've been writing about and thinking about um, by writing about it. And so memoir journaling is just a concept that I made up, which is basically writing about a moment in time or it can be a present moment, it can be a past moment, and writing about it in a way like you're telling a story about that moment, and you want that story to be as detailed as possible. And it's a way to not only remember parts of your life through 
instead of being like, let's say you go on a first date with someone and you want to write a memoir journaling entry about it, instead of being like, yeah, we grabbed a cup of coffee. It was fun. Um, you go into more detail of like, okay, what was the atmosphere? Were you sitting at a cafe? And what was the feeling there? And what could you see? And was your music playing? And do you think that music affected the mood? And kind of going into too much detail, uh, just to really bring that moment to life. And what it's helped me do is, well, partly it's, I think, a beautiful thing, keeping an archive of having so many moments so carefully um, documented. And also just helps me pay more attention, I think, in everyday life and notice things a bit more and appreciate things more instead of just rushing through life and kind of be um, oblivious to, it's, it's kind of like a stop and smell the roses kind of thing in a nutshell. And I know you journal too, mm. right? Yeah, I've been dabbling. For, like mm -hmm. I've, I've done it on and off for the last several years, but I really started taking it seriously about like three or four months ago. What do you think are the benefits of journaling? Oh, it's so good. It's like it's like personal therapy. Yeah. Um, I find like I ask myself how am I feeling right now, and then try and identify my feelings. And usually, if there's something negative, I'm trying. Huh? Why do I feel a bit weird? Oh yeah, it's because the YouTube video I recently put out didn't do very well. Huh? Why do I feel weird about that? Oh, it's because I'm kind of worried that blah 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 blah, and it's a sort of. The spiral of I'm worried I'm going to end up broken, homeless, and alone. <laughs> when it's on paper, I'm just like, okay, obviously this is dumb, mm. and like I can choose not to feel like that. Yeah. And then that helps kind of reaffirm this thing around. I can just make videos what I want about what I want, yeah. and I don't need to worry about sponsors or about this or about that. And so journaling is like almost that daily like meditation to reaffirm a, a particular like affirmation or something. Yeah, like it gives you perspective. Yeah, that you wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. I think it's super helpful. Yeah. Have you got any tips for people who might be listening to this and yeah. think, ooh, journaling sounds fun? Yeah. I think it's a little bit like the um, starting a YouTube channel thing where I get questions like, what should I journal on? And do you recommend a specific notebook? Or, you know, all these things that just kind of make you not do the thing because you're so worried about all the things surrounding the thing that you actually want to be doing. So I think just not putting too much energy and thought into what pen should I write with and should I write on my computer or just like open up your notes app and write five sentences or what or what you're feeling like or what's on your mind and don't overthink it um I journal everywhere I have my notebook I have google docs I have a notes app on my phone which probably has most of my journal entries at yeah. this moment because it's very in the moment and you don't want to think about it too much so just getting started and it's a bit of cringe as well. Some people are like, ooh, that's so cringy. I can't write about what I'm feeling. And it's kind of embarrassing sometimes just viewing your own thoughts because sometimes they don't make sense or sometimes you don't want to feel that way. And so I think just putting that aside and being a bit nicer to yourself and being like, it's totally fine to feel this way, even if it's not something that I'm proud of or that I would want to share because you don't want to have to share it. You can just keep it to yourself and that's what most people do with their journaling entries yeah. so getting over the cringe and the overthinking and just start writing and see where it takes you and also don't worry about your handwriting or like using the right words or not making it look messy or you know i think the perfectionism um is something that can delay a lot of things in life such as journaling or starting a channel or whatever it is that you want to do so just letting some of that go and 
going for it because there's not going to be a negative outcome. Like nothing's going to happen because you wrote down a few sentences in your notes app. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot of value in actually identifying our own feelings about the things which we might not be admitting to ourselves, but when it's on paper, then it's just like, oh, yeah, I, I understand myself a bit better now. And I found that like, it also makes life slow down a bit mm-hmm. in that um, one thing I do with the bullet journal these days is every day at the in, in the evening, or almost every day, I write down a few things I'm grateful for. And I write down um, based on Matthew Dix's book, Storyworthy, uh, what is one storyworthy moment that happened today? Mm. And I have this little look. And I've been doing this for the last like two weeks, uh, last four weeks and sort of dabbled with it on and off in, in different, different periods as well. And whenever I have that practice of nightly journaling what happened today, it feels like time slows down because now I'm like, oh, I actually am reflecting on my day and yeah. thinking about what happened and actively mm. thinking about it. And then mm. I can look back through the list and be like, oh, yeah, it feels like this month flew by, but actually it didn't because all this stuff happened and that's really cool. Yeah. So that's a nice, nice experience. And what do you what have you experienced have been the benefits of gratitude journaling, like writing down the things you're grateful for? Honestly, none yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I feel what like is supposed to be the benefits? There's some some people really swear by it. Uh, there was a Huberman Lab episode where he looked into the science behind this. He mm-hmm. said that uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't really hold up. Um, oh, okay. But I mean, enough people do it that anecdotally they always say that oh, it helps you just be more appreciative, be mm-hmm. sort of, and it's that smell the roses moment. And like a nice easy way. Um, so I do try and focus on like the small things that are nice. But I think I'm broadly good at being grateful for stuff. Uh, not like outwardly, but inwardly. Okay. Like often, How do you know that? Uh, so there's that quote, I think, from Viktor Frankl, which is where, you know, whenever you're feeling particularly content, remind yourself that, you know, if if this isn't nice, I don't know what is. And I will often remind myself of that or I'll just remember that thought when something particularly fun is happening like this morning I was sitting in a coffee shop doing working on my book introduction with a little flat white I was like oh if this is a nice I, I can't believe this is my job like this is sick yeah. this is really good when I'm having a when I do podcast interviews sometimes that thought comes into my mind of like oh like when you said earlier that this is our job yeah I was like oh this is sick <laughs> yeah. and just those moments no, of is. like oh this is actually really cool mm. like this is the life that I've been aspiring to and now I have that life so yeah. I should enjoy it while it's here yeah how do you think people can stay grateful even when they're not actually living the life that they mm. want? Like the, when they're not living the dream? Yeah. Um, I mean, I can't pretend to offer advice on this, but I will mm-hmm. cite Mo Gaudat, who's uh, has done loads of research into happiness. Mm-hmm. He said that uh, the key is to compare down rather than compare up. Okay. Because it's very easy to compare yourself to someone who is, quote, made it and yeah. be like, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't have that lifestyle. Yeah. But really, there's a lot of benefits you get from comparing down and being like, I'm so glad I have a roof over my head. I'm so glad I'm not living in poverty right now. Like, I'm so glad, like, and and in a way, being grateful for the fact that you are alive and in good health and yeah. have a job and or, or, like whatever that thing might be. Yeah. And there's always people out there who have it worse than you. And so as crass as it sounds, like comparing yourself to them mm. is way easier to be grateful than comparing yourself to the influencer on Instagram who's got 5 million followers. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, totally. How do, you, how do you think about that? I think I just remind myself kind of the way that you described, like what I said about sitting here or if I'm spending time with someone who's making me very happy, I'll be like, wow, I can't believe I have this person in my life or just, yeah, those reminders. And I think when you do it enough, they're kind of automatic. You don't really even 
have to think about, oh, wait, I should remind myself at the end of the day what I'm grateful for because you've kind of trained your brain into appreciating things throughout the day. And yeah, those reminders kind of come automatically, especially when things are going well and you're happy. It's a bit harder when you feel like things aren't going well and you you aren't feeling that well. It's a bit more difficult finding things to be grateful for, even if there's always something to be grateful for. But it's a bit more challenging. But yeah, I think uh, just the small moments and being like, wow, I can't believe I get to be in London today. And I can't believe, you know, just appreciating that and not taking things for granted. Nice. Yeah. Any, um, so changing gears a bit, are there any mm -hmm. books that you've read that have had a big impact on your life to date? Yeah. Uh, so I always say my favorite book is Stoner by John Williams. Oh. It's a novel. I'll check it out. Uh, which might be surprising. You might think that a self-help book or a nonfiction, at least, would have the biggest impact on your life. But I think it's um, audible right now. Yeah. Um, it's a great book. I wish I could read it again, like for the first time. Um, and I don't even really know why, because... It's not a book where a lot is happening or where it's this dramatic thing where you're going to find out what's going to happen later. And it's a very, it's a very simple book with very beautiful writing. Um, and I think it changed my life in a way that it just made me see the beauty in simplicity in a way that I hadn't really seen it before. And... It made me think about how fascinating people's lives are, even if they're not living a extravagant lifestyle. Like everyone's story is interesting somehow. Like there's so much happening in everyone's lives all the time. Even those who thinks that those who think that their lives are boring or that they're not experiencing enough things, like just being alive and going about your day, like there are always things that I think are fascinating to learn about anyone, even if on paper they're not like a business owner or they're not someone who has achieved X, Y, Z. And, you know, I think that's what the book kind of made me realize because the main character, Stoner, he's, a, he's living a very average life, yet it's filled with so much emotion and so many lessons so i think that's nice. what drew me into it nice i'll start listening to it on audible today yeah. thank you very much well, let me know what you thought lana thank you so much this has been absolutely wonderful been um any final message for people who might have listened to the three hours of this uh oh, is it <laughs> yeah it's, 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 it's like five o'clock now we started oh, recording at like two that's um, crazy yeah any any final parting words of wisdom um ooh, words of wisdom that sounds like or just anything to I'm say i'm a philosopher or you something. Are a philosopher yeah <laughs> um, you know seneca and all that I think just uh, final words of wisdom. I just don't like seeing people waste their potential. That's one of my pet peeves. Mm. And I just want people to try the thing that they're thinking about. If that's starting a channel or changing your major or moving out, whatever it is that's this itch that you have in your body and in your mind where you're like, I can't get this thing out of my mind. This is your sign to try it and go for it and um, see what happens. Brilliant. Well, thank yeah. you very much. We'll put links to all your stuff in the show notes and in the video description. And thank, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me.
All right, so that's it for this week's episode of Deep Dive. Thank you so much for watching or listening. All the links and resources that we mentioned in the podcast are going to be linked down in the video description or in the show notes, depending on where you're watching or listening to this. If you're listening to this on a podcast platform, then do please leave us a review on the iTunes store. It really helps other people discover the podcast. Or if you're watching this in full HD or 4K on YouTube, then you can leave a comment down below and ask any questions or any insights or any thoughts about the episode. That would be awesome. And if you enjoyed this episode, you might like to check out this episode here as well, which links in with some of the stuff that we talked about in the episode. So thanks for watching. Uh, do hit the subscribe button if you aren't already, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.